Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Would you know what sleep apnea is? Do you know anybody who has it? Could you possibly have it yourself? I suppose what is it is the best question to start with because it's relatively common. At least that's what we think. Uh, Let's talk to someone who knows. Professor Ken O'Halloran. Uh, from UCC is a professor of physiology there and does special research in the control of breathing. Uh, Ken, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How, how common is this? It's very common, very, very common condition. In fact, there was a, a publication earlier this year, an international consortium that estimated nearly a billion people may have disrupted breathing during sleep. Now, that captures a whole spectrum of disorders, and many of those will have mild breathing disruptions but it's a staggering number of people and as you say many many people who have sleep apnea don't know that they have sleep apnea mm-hmm. underdiagnosed underrecognized and then we see over many years many decades of course the consequences of that down the line and in simple terms what is it well when we sleep all of us when we sleep the muscles of our throat will become relaxed many of our muscles do and for most of us that's not a problem But in some individuals, the airway will narrow, and it will narrow to the point that breathing will now become uh, quite noisy, and that's what gives rise to snoring, turbulent flow through the airway that most of us recognize. Snoring may not be benign, but snoring is not sleep apnea. Mm. Snoring is probably a prelude to sleep apnea. In sleep apnea, it comes from the Greek language. It means without breath. And so now we have a big problem. The airway is completely closed during sleep for periods. There's no flow of air. And so it's actually silent. And we may recognize it in individuals who snore. They often have periods between bouts of snoring that are completely silent. Yeah. And it could be that breathing has resumed and that would be a good thing. But of course, it's a problem if breathing has become obstructed and there's no flow. So now what we have... Would you not wake up if that happens? Yeah, so that's the problem, of course. You actually have uh, an arousal from sleep. It might be from a deep stage of sleep to a lighter stage of sleep, so an unawareness of it. Or even people who would sit up, bold upright wake up, but then fall back asleep again. So the waking up is good because it restores the airway Mm. and you breathe. But now what we have is that sleep apnea, breathing disorder, ends up actually becoming a sleep disorder. It Mm. ends up disrupting sleep. And that's probably the first sign, people who have really excessive sleepiness during the daytime. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think possibly more men, maybe I'm wrong here, but possibly more men are inclined to snore kind of by default. Yeah, you're quite correct. It's much more common in men. But actually, that's only true if we look uh, up until about the menopause period in women. So around the perimenopausal period, those numbers uh, are equivalent. And now it's actually a big problem for women. The the, the incidence is as high uh, in women as men. But the cardiovascular consequences, one of the problems with sleep apnea is it can cause high blood pressure. Okay. And it can therefore cause heart failure in the long term. And the risk of cardiovascular events in women actually now becomes higher than in men. So how would I know if 
a loved one's snoring or how would they know if my snoring was something to be looked into? Yeah, good question. Often that's where it's first reported. It's the bed partner. The individual themselves is sort of uh, really unaware of the condition. Although if you look, if you look at the daytime behaviors, there's many cardinal signs that kind of give it away. If you witness an individual snoring and then periods, as I said, of complete quiescence, silence, but if you watch them, they're actually breathing really vigorously. They're making the effort to breathe, but because the airway is collapsed, they're not actually effectively breathing. It can be tricky to determine that's actually what the sleep specialist will do is instrument the individual and definitively determine that. But often it's something that will be witnessed. A bed partner will say, that's exactly what happens. I've seen that happen. And then the individual rouse either a body posture change or the return of the snoring mm. and the clearance of the airway, but only for that cycle then to continue again. It's something that happens hundreds of times over the course of the night. One assumes that it's dangerous if left untreated. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So we know a rather sobering fact that untreated severe sleep apnea will shorten life expectancy. It's pretty much determined now that it's causal for cardiovascular disease, causal for hypertension. And we know that hypertension, whatever the cause of hypertension, is going to lead to heart failure. But a host of other things. One of the problems with sleep disruption, just sleep disruption by any cause, is that it impacts our whole physiology. It's going to impact on our mood, our cognition, our metabolism, and pretty much sleep apnea starts to affect every organ of the body, and so that's why it's really quite mm. devastating, really quite a pernicious, mm. silent killer, you might say. Can, can we sort it out at home, as it were? Well, yes and no. Um, certain uh, lifestyle factors are influential, so we know smoking is a risk factor. We know consumption of alcohol is a risk factor. It tends to depress the nerves that innervate the airway. And so some of us who don't snore ordinarily might, after a glass of wine or two at night, snore that evening, and that would be witnessed. So certain lifestyle changes are possible, but really because this is a change that occurs in the anatomy of the airway or the physiology of the individual, it really does need specialist intervention. Mm -hmm. I, I like, at what point would you know I need to see a doctor here? Well, if there's any concern, um, you should. You should uh, discuss it with your GP. There are some questionnaires that will characterize sleep quality, very simple questionnaires that capture your behavior, whether you doze frequently when trying to um, perform tasks, when you're concentrating, watching TV, for example, working on a computer screen. People are often witnessed falling asleep and and actually unaware because they rouse, think they've nodded off for a couple of seconds. It could be for several minutes. So a lot of it actually looks at the quality of sleep. There are risks, of course, when people are very, very sleepy, driving a car, working mm. with heavy machinery. Mm. We know that that's a problem, actually, that sleep apnea can underlie a lot of uh, problems on in-road traffic accidents, for example. Right. Like, you know, we all get a bit... I mean, I open the morning at a quarter to six, and it's kind of a given that by four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm a bit tired and I might need a nap. But that's, yeah. that's normal, isn't it? Yeah, that's normal, yeah. Um, there's a difference between feeling the urge to sleep, which grows as the day goes on, and if we've had a disrupted night before, it's going to be a greater pressure for us to sleep. And we have an awareness of that. And all of us have sat down for a second or two and then decided, okay, now's the time to close the eyes yeah. and nap. This is really quite an intrusive form of sleepiness. 
Really, you can't control this. You can't control it. And more than that, it, it affects people's mood, their ability to concentrate. People can be quite irritable. Right. Really all the signs that you'd see with sleep disruption. Some people end up, do they, Ken, using a machine? That's it, yeah. yeah. It's known as CPAP. It's an acronym, C-P-A-P, Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. That's probably the first line of treatment for people with diagnosed sleep apnea. And what it is, it's a mask that you wear when you go to sleep. It pushes a, a front of air into the pharynx, not all the way into the lungs. You're not being ventilated. Mm. But it's a mechanical splint to help you to open your airway. When it works, it works incredibly well. And, and for some people, it's a remarkable change very, very quickly. It doesn't sound very comfortable to try to sleep with. No, that's the problem, actually. The adherence is very low. And we now know from studies that you need to probably have it on for six to eight hours, effectively throughout the whole night. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to prove difficult if you wake during the night, maybe go to the loop, come back, people don't put the machine back on. Yeah. If even, if you turn, even if you turn over. Yeah, just yeah. displace it uh, unawares, yeah. There are other devices, some people, it's the anatomy of their airway, so they have short... Uh, lower jaws and so linking in with the dentist you can get a device that you wear at night that pushes your jaw forward pulls that front part of your airway forward Mm -hmm. and again for some people that works remarkably well and is reasonably straightforward yeah yeah i mean do people ever have to have a surgical intervention or is there such a thing yeah surgery was common maybe a good few years back it's now tends to be sort of contraindicated it can cause more trauma Surgery is common in children, and, and in fact, sleep apnea is common in children. Is Although it? age is a risk factor for it. We tend yeah. to think of older and obese individuals, especially men, as you say. Quite common in children, but there it tends to be because the airway can become crowded. So often surgery is good there to take out the tonsillar tissue. Yeah. That may actually be addressed because they're having a lot of repeat infections. Yeah. But can often actually uh, alleviate sleep apnea that they may not even know they've had. I think the most surprising element of the conversation, Ken, is the number of women that can have it. And you say particularly pre-menopause. Post-menopause. Post-menopause. Yeah, so once the hormones change around that period, uh, what we see is effects on breathing and effects then that uh, provide less cardiovascular protection. Estrogen, the major female hormone, is really quite protective for the cardiovascular system throughout life. But the Mm. sudden loss of estrogen puts females at risk and then sleep apnea seems to present with about the same incidence as in men. In other words, very, very common. And they're now at quite a high risk. Lastly, what I would think this is, or for whom I would think this is particularly problematic, is those who don't live with anybody to tell them you are snoring too much or I don't like the sound of that. People who live alone, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, who don't know they've got a problem. Yep. Their body will alert them to it, I expect. Yeah, so I guess it's back to the first point we had about the, how, how sleepy they are, if they feel their mood, if they feel that. And there might be other telltale signs, in fact, even going to their GP. They may have high blood pressure, they may have issues with um, diabetes or pre-diabetes. We know that sleep apnea can be a driving force for many of these things. Mm-hmm. So it actually needs to be on the table when you're considering even other conditions. Uh, a colleague suggested to me recently that a lot of the... Um, smartwatches and Fitbits that people can wear now that look at, at least crudely, the quality of sleep can be quite useful. Yeah. yeah. Lastly, uh, cardiovascular exercise in short bursts during the day, like half an hour on an exercise bike or a run around the block, can that help? Well, it helps general health, of course. Yeah. 
probably the first thing that's recommended. Weight loss is often recommended for individuals with sleep apnea if obesity is the driving fo- uh, force. It's not always a straightforward thing. Um, actually, speaking of exercise, there was many years ago attempts to look at training the muscles of the throat, and it was deemed maybe a moot point because, of course, those muscles become relaxed. But that's now back in vogue again. People are linking in specialists in this field with speech and language therapists. And it seems for some people, training these muscles with different maneuvers actually leads to an improvement in their outcome. It might depend on the type of sleep apnea that they have and whether Mm. strengthening these muscles provides them some some protection, prevents that airway from fully closing, for example. So lastly, I suppose, just to sum up, Professor, if a loved one or if yourself having trouble staying awake, if you snore a lot at night, you're having trouble staying awake by day and not not the fact that you need a nap, but the fact that you're falling asleep at your desk or anything like that, get it checked. Get it checked, yeah, straight to your GP, get it checked. All right, okay. Thanks for being with us today. Much appreciated. That's Professor Ken O'Halloran, Professor of Physiology at UCC, studying in particular the control of breathing in health and disease. Sleep apnea, far more common than you think. Quartz 96 FM.